All right, I want to show you a couple images on the screen. First one is this right here. All right, how many of you see the two faces looking at each other? All right, and how many of you see the candlestick? All right, great. Yeah, you can see, our eyes go to one or the other quickly first, and then when you get the other one pointed out, you see it. But optical illusion, for, it's both of them, right, right. Next one, what do you see here? Rabbit, bird. Someone in the first service said horse. We actually took their children away. Uh, <laughs> all right, go to the next one. Oh, 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 oh. You see them looking at you, then you see their profile, right? Yeah, so we do these things, like optical illusions. This kind of got me thinking this week because my wife showed me one. It was like this, this uh, I would do it on the screen, but it doesn't work quite well. But essentially, when you look at it, it's like all these lines that are not parallel. They're all kind of broken and jagged up. But in reality, they are parallel lines. And at first, I thought she was just kind of picking on my Laverne High School education. <laughs> and... Uh, and, but then I realized that's where she went too. So I was like, no, that can't be it. And so she's like, well, look at it from the sideways. So we kind of turned the screen sideways and you could see all of the lines parallel to one another. It's just crazy, like the tricks that your eyes uh, can play on you and really kind of keep you from seeing reality. And that's really what I want to talk about on a spiritual sense today, because I, I, I believe that a lot of people in the world think they can see the spiritual things of God very clearly, that they see rightly, but in reality, what they are seeing is very warped, very uh, disillusioned, or even blind to, to the realities of the, the gospel, to the realities of the Bible. And so they, they, they've kind of believe they see, but they don't really see. And so today in John 9, we're looking at a, a, a story in the Bible of, of Jesus healing the blind man. And uh, we, we've been in a series called Stuck, right? God freeing us from the things in life that have us uh, uh, stuck. Last week, we talked about how God frees us from shame. Uh, this week, we're talking about how God frees us to see. Uh, that there are some things in our life that blind us, and we have to be our eyes opened in order to see the reality of Christ, the truth of the scriptures. God has to open our eyes from the blindness that we were born in because of our sin and all those kinds of things. He has to give us eyes to see, right? Now, what, you know, um, what we're going to look at today, we're going to see Jesus heal a blind man physically, but he also heals him spiritually, Right? But we're also going to see that there are plenty of people that are surrounding this blind man that can see physically, but they're blind spiritually. You know, the scriptures talk about that the things of the spirit are foreign to those that, that don't have the spirit, that are unbelievers. Uh, that they can't even begin to see or understand the, the things of, of the Bible, of the Spirit, because they don't have the Spirit within them, right? And, and, and uh, th this is why you can, you can understand why the wor world doesn't understand our stances when we're standing on the Scriptures, 
right? They don't understand our stance on sexual ethics. They don't understand our stance on abortion. They don't understand us holding to the scriptures on gender issues and these types of things because they can't see like we see. Their eyes have not been opened to the things of of the gospel. And so they're kind of looking at this optical illusion and they're seeing this warped reality when, when, when instead of having God open their eyes to be able to see clearly the truths of the scripture. So I want to dive into the text today. We're in John 9, like I said, and uh, uh, I will story a lot of it. If you want to read it in its totality, do that at some point this afternoon. That would be great. I'm going to give you the gist, and you can uh, go back to, to read the entirety of the chapter. But let's start off reading the first three verses. It says, as he... Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. All right, so obviously you've got Jesus and his disciples walking down the road. The disciples are constantly craving Jesus to teach them things. And so they see a blind man. It's a great opportunity to ask Jesus, hey, who sinned this man or his parents uh, that he was born blind? Now, they, they, the disciples were thinking that, uh, man, either he really messed up or his parents really messed up. And God took it out on them and zapped him in the mother's womb and, and because of their sin made him blind. And Jesus corrects them, lovingly corrects them. And, but I love this passage because I think, it's, I think it's gold for us in dealing with a theology of suffering, right? And, and, and I wanna, I'm gonna dive into a little bit of a, of a theology of suffering. See, in this day, it was common to, to believe in generational sins. It was common to believe uh, either your suffering was a direct result of your sin or your parents' sin or your, or your grandpappy's sin, right? So it's like, like man, you look at somebody and they, they're suffering because of sin. You begin to think, oh, it's because of my granddad did this or it's because of someone else in my family did this, this idea of generational, gener- generational sins. Now, uh, or it was because of her parents, or they did something bad, right? Like they, they did something to deserve suffering. And so they would kind of categorize all suffering in these kind of pockets of what did you do to deserve this? Uh, now, this sounds crazy. Like we would say, oh, we don't believe that. But, but practically speaking, oftentimes we do, don't we? When bad things happen in our lives, what do we often ask? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? Why is this happening to me? I thought I was doing the, the right Christian thing, the living the life that you wanted me to. Why me? And so Jesus is beginning to um, show them and, and teach them this theology of suffering. Now, basically, there are other religions that believe this. Actually, most other religions believe this, but most openly you have Hinduism and Buddhism that believe in this karma, this karmic uh, idealism that is you do good, you get good. Yin and yang, right, or whatever. You do bad, you get bad. And 
the, the good you have or the bad you have is because of the good or the bad that you've done or the good or the bad that you've done in a previous life because of reincarnation, right? And so, so all of it that happens to them, matter of fact, I, one of my Thai friends that I follow on Facebook had got like stung on the ankle by something and it swole up. And his comment was, uh, it, it, it was big, I must have had some kind of bad karma that he had done something or maybe in a previous life to deserve what he had gotten. And so this kind of idea, though we kind of think it's foolish, practically we live it out in, in our lives. Now, we, we, we also see this happen in, in church world too because there'll be a lot of prosperity preachers that say, you're going through suffering or you're going through a bad time because you don't have enough faith. You're not healthy and you're not wealthy because you don't have enough faith. You haven't done enough good. You haven't pressed in enough to, to the Lord or something like that. The problem is it's just not, it's just not biblical. Uh, the gospel is actually quite the antithesis of this. The gospel is you do bad, you get good. This is the gospel. Matter of fact, the gospel says you can't do good. The way in which to be saved is to admit that you can't do good. Let God begin to make you good. That's the gospel. The antithesis of the gospel is I'm going to be good and maybe God will be happy with me. If I'm bad, maybe God will smite me. That's karma. It's not Christianity. Christianity is, I can't do good. I have no good in me. There's no good in this. But God saves me anyway and begins to make me like his son. That's the gospel. And so Jesus begins to correct some of the things going on here. Now, a couple of things I want to be clear on. All suffering is because of sin, okay? All suffering is because of sin. There will be no suffering in heaven, okay? So uh, all suffering is because of sin. Any kind of diseases or, you know, because you have to take four Advil before your coffee in the morning or whatever you're walking through, all of it is because of sin. Now, some of that suffering is because of the consequences of your sin. Some of, the, uh, some of that suffering is not because of the consequences of your sin. Now, obviously, uh, some suffering is self-induced. If, you know, like um, alcohol. Alcohol in and of itself is not a sin, but if you abuse alcohol and you die because of liver failure, that was your suffering on account of your own sin, is that pretty clear? Or if you uh, drink and then drive and then uh, get in a car wreck and ruin your life or the life of other people and you, you're suffering the consequences of that, that, that's because of your sin. You're suffering because of your own sin. You, you could go down the list. STDs because of particular sins or, uh, you know, even like high blood pressure, heart disease because of gluttony. Like these kinds of things, uh, we suffer because of our own because of our own sin. Now, even our children can suffer because of our sin, right? I don't want you to hear that there's nothing that we can do that won't harm our children. Obviously, when we sin, it affects everyone around us. Uh, divorce. If you are to divorce, it affects your children and not in a positive way. Um, we, uh, you know, maybe your abuse of alcohol will, will have an effect on your children in one way or the other, whether directly or indirectly. Um, th there are things in which you can cause your children suffering in which you can 
you can lay upon your children. That is because of your that is because of your sin. Uh, but but specifically, I want to talk about the suffering that's not consequence based. I want to just talk about the suffering that we may we may happen may may just happen to us. We may have some kind of uh, uh, disease, or we, we may have some kind of health issue. We may have some kind of financial crisis, or we, we may have some kind of life relational issue. We, we may just have something happen—a loss of love, whatever it is—that happens to us. Uh, that 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 comes upon us, and we begin to think, "Why me? Why did I deserve this? I didn't deserve this. I, I didn't. I, I thought that I was, you know, the 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 good." Christian individual. So this is what Jesus is speaking to here when the disciples want to know what caused this man to be born blind. And Jesus says, it's not him. It's not his parents. The purpose for his blindness is so that the works of God might be put on display. The purpose for his suffering is so that the works of God might be put on display. In John 6, 29, Jesus says that the works of God are that you believe in him who sent Jesus. So so this man's blindness isn't for punishment. It's for his good and it's for God's glory. It's for his good and it's for God's glory. It's so that Jesus could set him free physically and spiritually, it, it, it worked out for his good. It worked out for the, the glory of God. So when we suffer, uh, when, when we suffer, um, we need to begin, as a believer, we look at suffering different than a non-believer. As a believer, there is nothing in life that is arbitrary. There's nothing in life that is arbitrary. Everything has purpose. Everything is given unto us from the Lord. This is what Job says at the end of his book. The Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, if, you wanna, if you're walking through suffering and you need counsel, go to the book of Job. If you want to get it through it quickly, read about the first three or four chapters and then the last three or four chapters. It'll really see you, the, the beginning and the response of God upon Job. But Job says, you're right, God. You give, you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Everything I have is given to me by you. What can I do but praise you? You've given for your praise sake. You've taken away for your praise sake. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our suffering as believers, we don't, we don't see it as a why me kind of thing. We see it as what do you want? What, what purpose do you have in this, Lord? I, I want to. I want to see it. I want to learn from it. I want to grow in it. I want to. I want to see the works of God put on display in my life. You, you've seen this happen in your life. You, I, I, when I think through suffering, I think through the people that I've watched suffer, specifically the ones that I've watched suffer well. You've seen people suffer in a. In a, in a non-believing way, and then you've seen people suffer in a believing way. I think about, the, in my mind, comes a woman named Vicki Espy. Vicki Espy died of cancer, but she had cancer for years. And, and the testimony of Vicki was always, always, praise God. My cancer would not rob God of glory. The cancer that has been given unto me, it is, this suffering is, is for the purposes and the plans of God. And so up to, all the way to the day she died in, in her most 
feeble and frail stay, she cried out, praise be unto God. Now this is suffering, seeing suffering in a way that it puts the, the, the works of God on display. This is how believers suffer. This is how we should suffer. Suffering throughout the scripture is one of the greatest ways to put the works of God on display. Look at the cross. The the, the very cross is, is a model of suffering to put the glory of God on display. So believers don't see suffering as, you almost stomp around, I haven't gotten in my way, why, why me? Suffering is a, a way to say, okay, God, even in the storm, even in the suffering, even in this trial, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away. You give and you take away health. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and you take away money. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever may come, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so Jesus is teaching them this theology of of, of suffering. He's, He's claiming them what Paul would later write in Romans 8, 28. that says that God works together all things, all things, for the good of those who love him. He didn't say good things. He said he works together all things, good, bad, ugly, nasty, great, awesome, terrible, all things for the good of those who love him. That's what God does. That's what he does in our suffering. He he puts the works of God on on display. So for the believer, we should have a radically different perspective on suffering. It's not meaningless. It's not random. God is sovereign, so there's, there's purpose in it. It's for our good and for his glory. And then he goes on in verse six, first six and seven. He says, um, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, lucky dude, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and he came back seeing. Now, here's what, here's what John's going to do. He's about to introduce everyone surrounding the blind man. He's going to introduce us to the Pharisees, the neighbors, the, the, the man's parents. And he just healed the blind man, gave him physical sight, gave him spiritual sight. Everyone around the blind man can see physically, but they're blind spiritually. And we're going to see John is, John is putting on display really four kind of things, four factors, either direct sins or as a result of sin that have caused blindness on these individuals, caused these people to not be able to see Jesus. And I think these things apply to us in a very real way. These are the things that are still blinding folks from the reality of Christ today. So I want to walk kind of. I want to walk through those. The first one, uh, first thing that causes spiritual blindness is the fear of men. Now, what I mean by that is you fear what man can do to you what humanity can do to you, or you fear the opinion of other individuals, and it keeps you from living out a life for Christ. 
Uh, now, the, the Pharisees here, uh, the Pharisees asked him, the blind man, hey, how did you receive your sight? And the blind man tells them that Jesus spit in the dirt, made mud, put it on my eyes. I went to the pool, washed it off, and then I could see. Now, the Pharisees were like, sounds like fake news to me. Um, call in his parents. Somebody find this guy's parents. So they bring in the parents, and then look at verse 19. It says, and they asked him, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now, earlier in the passage, um, it, it's noted that the, the Pharisees were going to excommunicate individuals that were, that were helping uh, and, and, and proclaiming Jesus. They're going to kick them out of the synagogue. So this blind man's parents coming and they're asking him, they're asking them, hey, how does your son see? For them to say it was Jesus or, or to affirm Jesus, they were afraid they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue, which doesn't sound like a big deal to us, but excommunication from the synagogue was huge. It was huge. Here's what it meant. It didn't just mean getting kicked out of the, the, essentially the church. It meant getting kicked out of uh, society. You, you were socially excommunicated. You, you couldn't kind of interact with other people because other people would fear being associated with you. And so you would be cut off socially from all your friends, from your family. It also meant a financial stress because you would be cut off from doing business with individuals because they would do business with other right standing Jews. And so, so they would continue to do business with one another and they would cut you off. You couldn't even move to another town because they would tell the other governing uh, spiritual authorities in the town that you would move to that you were excommunicated from the synagogue. And so you were basically uh, uh, cast into poverty, loneliness, cut off from family and friends. So it was a big deal. It was a big deal. And so the blind man's parents said, no, we ain't doing that. Ask him. He's of age. They had a chance to do the right thing. They knew who had healed him. There's no way that the son had told all his neighbors and not told his parents. And so he, he, he's, they knew that this was this, their son, that he was born blind, that something had done, done it, that he saying that Jesus had done it. They could have said, he's saying that Jesus healed him. But they didn't. They dodged the question. Now, I, I spoke, too, to the young parents in the room during the first ser service, the, ch the people that were having their ch children dedicated. There are going to be times in our life when we, because of fear of what people will think of us, because of fear of society, that we won't do what we know to be biblical, what we know to be right. And this, you know, whatever that may be, you know, leading our, our kids to do the right thing instead of cheating or, you know, you know, I don't know, acting like a fool at the ballpark because we want six-year-olds to win the World Series. <laughs> whatever it might be, right? 
that we're, we're, we're going we're to we're have an opportunity to, to, to be different from the world. And we're going to choose not to because we're afraid of what the world will think. We're afraid of maybe the disadvantage it will have on our children. We're afraid of how it will put us out. But it's the fear of men that can leave us spiritually blind. Uh, maybe some of you are afraid to share the gospel. You're, maybe no one in your workplace even knows that you're a believer. Is the fear of men keeping you walking in spiritual blindness? You might be stuck spiritually. Is it because you're afraid of what people think of your relationship with the Lord? Fear of man will keep us spiritually blind. Second thing that will keep us spiritually blind is extra biblical thinking. Extra biblical thinking. So by that, I mean you have opinions. We all do. You have opinions, and you equate those opinions with Scripture. And you say, my opinion is as valuable as the Word of God. You, you see, can, can, back to the story here. Can you imagine Jesus hawking a big loogie into the dirt, making a mud sandwich, and putting it on the eyes of the blind man? At some point, he's like, I'll just stay blind. <laughs> right? No, he, he makes this mud. He puts it on his eyes. He says, go and and." Um, wash in the water. Why did Jesus do this? He didn't have to do it this way. He did it other ways before. Why did he spit in the mud, make mud, put it on his eye? He could have been in him. He could have healed. <laughs> Be healed. But ironically, that's not how Jesus works. Uh, so he makes mud, spits in it, makes mud, and puts it on the man's eyes. This is why he did it. He did it to tick off the Pharisees, which I love about Jesus. Because when I see what would Jesus do, WWJD, Jesus stirred it up a little bit, and I can get on board with that. Let's go. Just, hey. Because by doing this, the, the made-up, man-made laws that the Pharisees had put on top. This isn't the Bible. This is rules on top of the Bible. So by Jesus doing this, he breaks three of those man-made laws and, and religious uh, wrong laws that weren't a part of the Bible. You know, the word here for mud and dirt is the same word for dough. And so him spitting and kind of making this mud cake, it was... It was uh, against their extra biblical laws to make dough, to make bread on the Sabbath. And so him getting, spinning the mud and making it, spinning the dirt and making it into the mud was dough. He was making, kneading dough, therefore breaking a rule, working on the Sabbath. Ridiculous. So he He's stirring them up. It was also against their laws to anoint someone on the Sabbath. He anoints him with mud. Hallelujah. Thirdly, it was against the law, the, the, the religious law, the extra biblical law to, say, to, to heal someone on the Sabbath unless you were saving their life. So Jesus, you know, 
stirs it up. And this gets the Pharisees ticked. They're buzzing around. They're upset at what is going on here. See, the blindness of the Pharisees is that they say, they're saying our rules are equal to God's law. And Jesus is breaking our rules. Therefore, Jesus is breaking God's law. But the reality is Jesus was perfect. He kept the fullness of God's law. But, the, but these extra biblical rules, God never intended those to be. They were oppressive. They were put on a people that were, it was never meant to be put on them. right? And I think it's easy for us to confuse religious traditions with actual biblical truths. The, the church has a history of this, right? We've done this. I can name you over and over instances in which this has been the case in the church. I mean, you know, it used, you know, dancing used to be a thing. Don't dance, you know, because if you, you know, gyrate your hips, you're going to, the devil's going to get you or something, you know. <laughs> Don't play cards. So Uno was of the devil, Right. Uh, these things that are extra biblical things, opinions that people would hold to. Alcohol has been a big one in years past where that, that you know, if you sniff the stuff, you're going to hell, right? You know, uh, or, or uh, dress code, right? It, years past, if you didn't come in wearing your Sunday best, you didn't belong there. You didn't belong. And so these are these extra biblical rules. I got kicked out of a church once for wearing a hat. I better stop before. (laughs) So here are these extra biblical rules that we're hanging on to. We're saying these things are the most important. These things are so important that they're basically the Bible. And if anybody breaks these things, they're breaking the Bible. This, this is how the enemy works. He would so love for us to be more passionate about our opinions than we are about what is actually in the Bible. He would love for us to be so zealous about our preferences more so than we are about what's in the actual scriptures. And so we begin to be blinded by the enemy. We're blinded because of these extra biblical things. We care about our preferences more than we do conversions. So extra biblical things blind us. Thirdly, the third thing I think that blinds us is not acting on the truth that's in front of us, not acting on the truth that we have. Um, The Pharisees were told the story of how the blind man was healed over and over and over and over and over again. So much so, like, they, they keep asking the blind man, how was you healed? Bro, Jesus spit on dirt and put it on my eyes and healed me. Yeah, but how did he do it? He, he put dirt on my eyes and healed me. I don't know. He just healed me. Right? And so they just kept asking him, how did this happen? How did this happen? Finally, the, the blind man gets so frustrated. He goes, you're asking me so much. Are you wanting to become his disciples too? 
And this makes the fair. Let me read it to you. This is 24 through 27. It says, so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And this is probably one of the greatest verses in the Bible. One of my favorites. And he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Sounds like our children. Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh, they get in a, they're in a tizzy. They're, they're upset. They're mad. They're angry. They, who are you to teach us? You're nothing but a blind beggar. They're frustrated. They're t- they kick him out. They put him down. They kick him out. Get out of here. <laughs> At this point, the Pharisees aren't asking more questions to, to, to truly uh, uh, get more evidence to see what is true. They're asking more questions so they can try to disprove what they already know to be true. Don't we? This may be many of us in this room. The evidence of the gospel has been laid out before you. You know how to be saved. You know it's not your own works. You know it's not your own merit. You know it's not your good deeds. You know what it takes to be saved is you come under the cross and you submit your life. You bow before him as Lord and Savior and you give it all to him. But you keep saying, I need more evidence. I need more proof. Like you want God to write in the sky, this is the way to be saved. Just show me a sign, God, and I'll jump all in. Just do this for me, God, and I'll serve you in my whole life. And you're wanting more evidence, but you have enough. And God has given us his word, which is evidence enough of the truth of the gospel. Stop kicking the can down the road and submit to the evidence that's been laid out before you. There comes a point to where you're not going to give me more evidence. You just need to jump in and believe. That's part of faith. That's part of it. Well, it's not a blind faith. We have complete evidence in this, but faith is also a jumping in, a trusting in the evidence we already have, a sitting in the chair, a believing of what is being told and taught to us. So some of you have enough evidence. You need to jump, jump in. The last thing that blinds us is pride. Uh, I want to read to you verses 39 through 41. Uh, Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we all so blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Essentially, Jesus is saying, if you would admit your spiritual blindness, I would forgive you. I would heal you. I would save you. 
but because you arrogantly insist that you can see, you remain in your sins. Spiritual pride is one of the main reasons people don't come to Christ. They think that their good works will, will be enough for God to get them into heaven. They think that their morality, their humanitarian aid, the, 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 their uh, just helping of people, being a good citizen, raising kids that don't smoke weed when they're 16 and they pay their taxes, that God will honor that and let them into heaven. However, being a, a good makes you a good neighbor, a good citizen. Maybe, you know, your country will be happy with you, but it doesn't get you, doesn't make you a good citizen of heaven. Doesn't get you there. The way to be saved is to come unto God and say, even my good deeds are like filthy rags before you. Even, even when I try to do good, I'm damning myself. The only way I'm going to be saved is to come and die to ourself. To come before the cross of Christ and to say, I can't, get, I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. There's nothing good in me, as the scripture says. I, I, I can't do it. But spiritual pride will make us say, no, I'm not submitting to that. I'm not jumping all in on that. I'm going to be my own king. I'm going to be my own queen. I'm going to hold the reins of my own life. I'm in control. I can do this. I can wield the hand of God to work in the way that he's never worked before to allow the good that I've done in this world to be enough to get me into heaven. And God says, that is not how it's going to work. You cannot come to me. There's one way to me, and that's through Jesus. And the only way to to come unto Jesus is to be stripped of spiritual pride and to fall on our face before him and say, you are Lord. You are king. I submit and I surrender to you. I'm not a king. I'm not an army of one. I'm nothing. I came into this world blind. I came into this world as a rebel, a God-hater, dead in my sins and trespasses, a, a child of wrath, as Scripture says, son of disobedience, as the Bible calls us. And you open my eyes. So the only way to be able to see is to be stripped of spiritual pride. If you have grown in Christ, if you are a Christian and, and are producing fruit in your life, that is not even because of you. You are saved because of the grace and the mercy of God. You have what you have at the hand of God. You are alive because God allows you to be alive. Every breath we take is given to us by God. So there's no room for pride in that. 
Pride only blinds us. It keeps us from the truth of the gospel. And I love the testimony of this blind man. I love it. He had no spiritual pride. Zero. Matter of fact, there's a lot of stuff going on around him. And he, a lot of stuff he, he had no clue about. Like, right, right, remember, they said, hey, hey, who healed you? And he said, bro, I don't even know. I didn't see him. <laughs> so he didn't know who had healed him. He, he, he was a blind beggar. He, they're in this theological debate on whether he's a sinner or not a sinner or whether he broke the Sabbath or didn't break the Sabbath. And he says, I don't know if he's a sinner. He didn't know the theological debate going on all around him. He, he, there was a lot of this situation that he's just naive to that he didn't know about. But you know what he did know? And here's the testimony that he gave. He said, I don't know if he was a sinner, but what I do know is this. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind. I was on a street corner. I, 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 I know sounds really well, and I can count how many steps it takes me to get to the pool and get to where I need to find the place to beg and to get to where I'll sleep on the side of the street tonight. But I don't know. I can't see those things. I was blind. But now... I can see you. I can see what you're wearing. I, I can see what a tree looks like. I can, I, can, I can see. I once was blind, but now I see. This is the testimony of every true believer. Every true believer, you can say this over your life. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. I once did not want the things of God. I, want, I hated God. I was a rebel against God. I didn't love the church. I didn't love the people in the church. I thought they were all hypocrites. I didn't want anything to do with them. I was blind. I, I hated those, the things of the Bible. I hated the standards of the Bible. I didn't want to walk by the ways of the Bible. I hated those things. I didn't want to do any of those things. I was blind in my own sin and trespasses, but God stepped in in grace and mercy peeled back the blindness of my eyes and let me to see the beauty that is in the word of God, the beauty that it is in the grace and the mercy that saved my soul, the beauty that every good gift comes from God that God gives and he takes away. Yes, I was blind, but now I see the hope that we have in Christ is namely this. I was blind, dead, sinner, away from God. Now I see I'm a son. I'm in inheritance with Christ and I'm with the Father for forever. I once was blind, but now I see. This is the testimony of every believer. Every believer. Can you say that? Are you blind now? Maybe you're blind in your own pride your own spiritual arrogance, your own extra biblical thinking that you, you've got this religion thing figured out, that you're going to be good enough and wear your whatever to church and church attendance, but that's not the gospel. Maybe you're, you're blind because you, 
You need more evidence. Maybe you're blind because you don't want to jump in because of what people will think of you. Can you say that? I once was blind, but now I see. Let's pray together. Father, we know that seeing is a complete change of our nature. You change our desires. You change our loves. You change our passions. You you change our purpose. I pray, God, that today there are people that are blind in here. Would you give them spiritual sight to see? Would you save them? Would you open their eyes to the truth of the gospel? This this is the beauty of the gospel. (laughs) I once was blind. I I didn't want you. I ran from you. I was the king of my own world. And you open my eyes to see. Sometimes you use suffering in that plan, God. Sometimes going from blind to sight takes a little mud in our eyes. I pray that we would see suffering is for our good and your glory. I pray that our suffering would put on display the works of God. I pray that our suffering would draw us closer to the cross, not away from it. And I pray that those in here, Father, that don't know you, that are blinded to their sins, I pray, God, that you would remove the scales from their eyes and allow them to see the beauty of the gospel. Oh, maybe they've heard somebody preach about the cross and they've, they've heard about how to be saved from sins but they've never seen it I pray God you would open their eyes today to see it to see you only you can do that do the supernatural work given the blind sight for the believer in here God that it's constantly fogging up their vision with the things that blind us. I pray, God, that you would let them cling closely to the gospel, to the word of God, the things that keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And I pray that we would go out of here proclaiming our testimony to the world. I once was blind, but now I see for the glory of God. Love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.